Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the 42nd chapter of Genesis. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at each other? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we'll die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some heart might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly with them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy bread. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. And the story continues on from there. So the brothers come, and it's been about 20 years since they sold him into slavery. And Joseph, in all likelihood, is clean-shaven. And he's in his royal garb. There's no reason why they would recognize him. Just as, as a coach, I hardly recognize some of those little guys when they become young men. When that time passes, it's easy to not recognize under those circumstances. This must be someone, certainly, that they've never met. They had no sense whatsoever that they knew who this was. But Joseph looked at his brothers, and they all looked the same. Same hair, same beards, same robes. And Joseph spoke to them in Egyptian and used a translator. This was his chance. <laughs> this was his opportunity to do a cat and mouse thing with his brothers. This is his opportunity to get these guys back for what they did. So he's going, to, he's going to work the situation to his advantage. I don't know that he has it all figured out, but he's going to work this thing. And he's going to exact his revenge. They sold him into slavery. And he went straight to prison. And by... His own, in his view, his own cunning, he was managing to get himself out of prison, get himself 
now located as the number two man in all of Egypt. He was the smart one, they were the dumb ones, and he was going to take this as his opportunity to get some revenge. It's not a good thing. What does revenge get us? Revenge, getting someone back, even though they've done something horrible to us, what does it really accomplish? What does it do? I looked up revenge online just to get some quotes, and there are tons of them. Survival was my only hope, success my only revenge. You heard that. You know, don't get angry. Just get, get you know, be successful. Revenge is the naked idol of the worship of a semi-barbarous age. The old law about an eye for an eye leads everybody blind. Everyone knows trying to get revenge does nothing, nothing good for us. And yet, it burns in the heart. And when we have an opportunity to even the score, we go for it. And yet, that evening of the score, that cry for justice, it makes us experts at the sins of others. We look at what others have done and we know their sins so well and we're going to make things right. When we are so obsessed with getting things right, of, of leveling the playing field, of getting things back to where they quote should be, we're only hurting ourselves, and therefore, if it's eye for an eye, everyone ends up blind. Because we are blind to our own shortcomings and our own sins and our own participation. So sin ruins everything, and it locks us in the past. Joseph is locked in that past. Even though he is in a very powerful place in the present, he's locked in the past by that event that occurred against him and that he had to pay the price for. So the brothers meet with Joseph and they don't know that Joseph can understand what they're saying. He has no idea that, they, that he knows their language. And so they're talking with one another. When he's working on them saying, you're spies, I'm going to put you guys in prison, they start talking amongst themselves and saying, God is getting us back because we sold our brother into slavery those many years ago. God is going to get us because of this. This is the payback. And then Reuben speaks up and says, well, you know, I told you guys that we shouldn't do this. And so Joseph sees them in the anguish of their own guilt, and he turns his back on them and begins to weep. He comes to see the, the tender humanity of his brothers, however vicious they were to him. He sees in these years later that they have been tortured by guilt. So he is tortured by the desire for revenge, and they are tortured by their guilt. You realize that in the Old Testament, the word for Satan is accuser? The work of 
the enemy constantly is accusing us, constantly locking us into the past of our own guilt. And so the, the work of the enemy is about making sure we feel guilty. And we can't do anything about it. There's nothing we can do to cover up that past, to atone for it, to pay the price for it. So the brothers, likewise, carry it with them. Guilt is perhaps the most painful companion of death. Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. A guilty conscience needs no accuser because the guilty conscience is the accuser. And the wisdom of the scriptures puts that name Satan on that which is accusing us constantly of guilt. A feeling guilty is not the same as knowing one's shortcomings and sins. Feeling that does not in any way level the playing field in our relationship with others. Well, I sinned, therefore this, and therefore that. No, the, the guilt that we typically experience is something that just debilitates us. Because we know we can't, we cannot atone, we can't make it right. So the guilty conscience simply begins to consume one from the inside. And we become lessened. And we lose our humanity. So Joseph puts him in prison for three days, and then he takes him out. They've said, uh, talked about their brother back at home, back on the ranch, Bonanza Ranch, <laughs> Ponderosa. And um, they want to go back and bring their, Joseph wants him, them to go back and bring the youngest brother, Reuben. And he gives them provisions that they've come for, that they paid for, so they go back with the grain, but then Joseph also puts their money back in the sacks. They get back and they see Jacob at home with Reuben, pardon me, with Benjamin, and jo Jacob doesn't want let, to let go of this youngest son. They put Simeon in jail back in Egypt, and he says, I've lost Joseph, I've lost Simeon, and I'm now going to lose Benjamin? No way. No way. Jacob lost his dear wife. These were the two youngest sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Jacob lost his wife at the birth of Benjamin. And so he is burdened with his own grief and doesn't want, doesn't want to, to try anything new. He simply is locked in because of his own grief, and he can do nothing about it. He's, he's hemmed in before and behind. He is also blocked by that past. And the reality is that there are so many things that lock us into our past. Lock us into something we can do nothing about. The past isn't ours. It's our history, but we can't do anything about it. We can't fix it. But how often does it 
it hinder us and block us. And because we find ourselves just churning inside because of it, oftentimes we, we try to do something to make ourselves feel good in the midst of it, whatever that may be. But it's not, the past is really not ours. The past belongs to God. The future belongs to God. Our present is a moment where we're acting in a larger drama of God's purpose for our lives. And so it's only in the here and now, only in this moment, when we can act and hope that our actions are moving us in a direction that, that would, would find freedom for ourselves. It's only in our actions in the now that enable us to move forward to where we might be fully free and, and, and unhindered, untethered from our past or from our guilt or from our grief. I was so impressed, apart from the political side of things, when Senator Tim Scott spoke. And he went to a statement of faith that was so relevant and true for all people of all times. He said, original sin is never the end of the story. Our sin is never the end of the story. We're all burdened with it. It's a part of all of us. Of course, the apostle says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this. And why do we need reminding that that's never the end of the story? Not, it's never the end of the story, not in our souls, not for our nation. The real story is always redemption. I am standing here because my mom has prayed me through some very difficult times. I believe our nation has succeeded the same way because generations of Americans in their own ways have asked for grace and God has supplied it. That's, that's the way we unhinge ourselves from that painful past. That's a way in which we we unburden ourselves of the, the, the grief, the guilt, the, the longing for revenge. That is by simply receiving the grace that God lavishes upon us, the grace that he gives, the grace that allows for us to move forward with our lives. So many stories in each of our lives where we know of God's grace and how he's moved us forward. And just one little snippet of a large piece of my own story. So when my son was 10 years old, I drove him into Riverside and visited Olivewood Cemetery where the young man that was killed in the hunting accident at my hand was buried. I went to the gravestone with my son because I wanted him to know of the forgiving, gracious love of God. 
And when we arrived there, I saw that his father's gravestone was there also. He had died at 54 years old. So I saw that, and I prayed with my son, and we exchanged Bibles. I think I've shown this to you before. But we exchanged these Bibles, just little things. But I went from there wondering if my, my falling with my friend in front of me, my allowing in whatever way that gun to discharge for not being careful enough, I wondered if my act had caused the death also of his father. If I were not forgiven, if I didn't know that there was a redeemer, if I believed that I had to somehow pay the price for my sin, large and small, I would live under the heavy boot of guilt. We all would. But Christ has set us free. He's given us the freedom that belong to the children whom he loves. Will you bow with me in prayer? And, O oh Lord, Because sin ruins everything. We've been ruined along the way. We allow that stuff to rip us apart. So, Lord, may we know that we're free. Your grace is an offering to all of us. We need only accept your love, evidenced by the life, death, and resurrection of your Son to live in that freedom. May it be. We ask it in Jesus' name. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, when he had given thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in like manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembering me. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we show forth the Lord's death until he comes. And he comes on the wings of mercy. the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. Take and eat.
his blood shed for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of Christ. thank you. We thank you for that which is beyond our grasp, that which we cannot with our minds understand. And that is that you would love us, even us, that you would restore us, and that you would redeem us according to your will, so that we might know the joys of your presence, ultimately the joys of of your eternal kingdom. And we thank you, O Lord, that you have made us with your redeeming love. So hear us, we, hear us as we pray as your Son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.